folks. This week we're talking about paracosms, and we're joined by our friend R.J. Barnett from the band Circlebrook. R.J.'s songs are largely narrative-based, and his latest recordings are meant to provide theme music and scoring for his web novel, Conscious Conscientious. The song you're hearing now is called Enter, and it's R.J.'s latest single, which will be released tomorrow, March 24th. So if you like what you hear, make sure to show him some support, and keep an eye out for the full album, Conscious Conscientious 4, which will be coming out next month. You can also read his ongoing serial novel on royalroad.com. Enjoy the show. So we've been doing a series on meaning making, um, basically asking some questions like, why live? How do we bring order to chaos? How do we make sense of the universe? And asking people like what stories and frameworks they use to make sense of those things, to bring meaning to existence. So one of the things that I thought of, and I thought of you for this topic, RJ, was paracosms. And I'm using that word a little bit loosely because it's often used to describe a fantasy world that a, that a child creates in which they have imaginary friends and they have sort of a fantasy realm that they can occupy. It's sometimes and sometimes not like a trauma response and, and things like that. I'm using it loosely to extend to fictional stories that we come up with to make sense of real life events. And so RJ is somebody who not only writes fiction, but also writes music that has fictional story components to it. Let's get into how paracosms can be used to make sense of reality. So I guess my first question for you would be, let's go back to like the paracosm as a, as a childhood thing. You had mentioned earlier that you've kind of always done the whole imaginary world thing and always had like fictional people and places in your head. And I wonder how much that has informed your writing. Like, do you still kind of have fictional things from childhood that shows up now in your creativity? Yeah, I would say so, because like, I feel like a lot of the ideas I end up like using in my stories, not necessarily the songs, because the songs, they're more a reflection on the story. Mm. A lot of times they came from... um you know, just imagining things, I guess, if that makes any sense. <laughs> just like, just, just like, not like playing pretend. Cause I mean, I guess, I guess a little bit. So like, for example, like, cause I've been like most writers just always been writing since forever, I guess. Mm -hmm. And back in like fifth grade, I came up with a story idea that is now something that eventually I'm going to try to write into like a young adult, like novel series. But the, the idea didn't start as, if I remember correctly, because I was in fifth grade, so this was a long time ago. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but the idea kind of just started as like, like I was talking about earlier, being in settings, either being bored or like just uncomfortable socially. Um, sometimes I would just picture myself in a scenario where there's some sort of overarching plot. Mm. You know, I had to go do something at some point and just like thinking about all those nuances kind of like kept me distracted, helped pass time, what have you. Mm -hmm. And... I came up with this one like superhero-esque story that's really silly and hopefully has grown to be something a lot deeper yeah. and meaningful since then, yeah. now that I'm 28. But it started as something that like literally I was like the main character. <laughs> and I'm proud to say I scrapped that idea. But that is like where the, well, I didn't scrap the entire premise, but like that is where the idea formed mm. was just like mm -hmm. trying to imagine 
my current real situation slightly differently in a way that was that just kind of just kept me occupied, I guess. Yeah. It kept my brain working or just kept me, I guess, away from like having to, I mean, it's not always a positive thing away from like having to face the, the actual present situation. Mm. And so it's kind of, it was interesting when you like brought up the, this as a topic, cause it was kind of end up, I didn't never realize it, but it kind of has ended up being a starting point for a lot of my ideas. Mm. Yeah, I've been using a, this phrase a lot this season of, you know, bringing order to chaos. And what comes to mind for me when I think about writing fiction is like giving your thoughts a place to land, giving especially the ones that are kind of more rooted in conflict. Like I, I think of when I used to write a lot of, out of, of fiction and I was kind of a, like afraid of confrontation, afraid of conflict. And I would find myself often having like imaginary altercations with people like uh, I'm going to argue with somebody in my head but never actually do the confrontation myself instead you write it onto the page instead you 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 take that and turn it into some kind of fictional interaction just so that you can play it out and just so that you can you know see where the where, where that dialogue might go and so when I think about this I think of how it can be a very useful tool similar to journaling in a way but instead you're like kind of creating a, a fictional world, but using it to process thoughts and emotions in a world where the consequences would not be the same. And so you can a little bit more freely process things and, and put it on the page experimentally to see like, yeah, how do I feel here? And can I work this out here on the page instead of in real life with people who I love and who are close to me so that we don't like risk our relationship, you know? Right. Do you ever find yourself... Like, what are the social implications for you in creating worlds? Yeah, no, I I mean, I've, and to this day, like, just, like, imagined arguments and <laughs> almost, like, forgot that they didn't actually happen, um, <laughs> like, um, like many a time. I don't think I've ever put them into a story, but mm. I feel like I do kind of use, I don't know how in line with, with that this is, but I feel like I use fiction as kind of a, like, kind of like you were saying, I use fiction as kind of, as, like, a setting to more comfortably, more safely explore thoughts and, and emotions and, and not without risk of actually feeling them, but just right. like you're not shooting a real gun kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, it's like a scrimmage. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> playing the game, but yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And there can be multiple layers to that too. If I'm just writing a chapter or something, I don't necessarily like, I'm not like, this is how I feel about a topic or something. And now I'm going to like write this chapter and like have it like secretly be about that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it can come through and sometimes it's just that's just where, where the story is going and whatever. And then when I go to write the music that accompanies the the story, I find there's so many parallels between what's happening in the story and stuff that I'm going through, like on, like emotionally, not like literally the same things, but just like the emotional implications of those things. And so when I'm trying to write the song in a way that feels real, because I'm portraying a fictional story through the song but i want it to come across like genuine mm -hmm. i end up resonating with this fictional plot because it has to do with something i'm going through in real life if that makes sense yeah yeah um like i wrote a song that was supposed to kind of just be like the opening theme if you will for like the vo second volume of like the web novel i write mm -hmm. and i ended up without planning to writing it about my mom battling cancer oh wow because there was just like just like the emotional parallels of like what these characters motives were and what they were trying to, who they were trying to save and what they were afraid of was very in line with where I was at. 
Yeah. And the song kind of just ended up being about both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched like a, a few like making of the album type things where like that seems to come up for a lot of people. Coheed and Cambria with their song. I think it was Justice and Murder. And like ended up being about a, a death in the family. I know Mastodon mm-hmm. has done a lot of that kind of thing too. And um, it's a beautiful but very unfortunate thing when like a tragedy can be transposed into art in that way. But yeah. it, it does help like kind of bring some peace and like, you know, when, when you can kind of distill your relationship with somebody into beauty. Yeah. Even if it's like a fictionalized version of the relationship or even if it's like a, you know, it just doesn't reflect how things really, really were. But it creates this at least a small world for your relationship to exist within. Right. And yeah. sometimes it can even like soften the blow where you're, if it if it becomes too emotionally tense trying to write about that topic, at least for me, sometimes I can just be like, well, I convince myself like, well, I'm just I'm I'm not writing about that. I'm writing about <laughs> this character going through, through this right. other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I know what it actually what I'm actually saying, but mm-hmm. Matt, what were you going to say? I was just going to ask if you think the medium matters um like i don't know if paracosmic is the word here if that is a word here but um (laughs) like if the paracosmic medium matters the way that just a more traditional creative medium would matter like it, it changes not only the delivery method but sometimes the way that you process what you're thinking about and writing about you know like to me i'll just use my own example i guess like i definitely wasn't super familiar with the concept of paracosm prior to joel mentioning this topic but conceptually, I have always dealt with them. Like it's always been mm-hmm. I, the first time I remember coming up with one and, and kind of being conscious of it was kindergarten, I think. And I pretty much kept that flame burning since. Like it's just I kind of created like imaginary, like an imaginary world with no creative implications. And, you know, it's not a concrete thing. Like, it's not like an imaginary friend. It's not anything that's super, like, fine-pointed like that. But it's just kind of like this reality I've been fleshing out for the last 23 years. And it's always been this great way of, like, sometimes coping with if shit's difficult, like, I can just kind of go and, like, what what's going on there? And mm. other times it's mm. just kind of like a more passive thing. Like, it's just a – it's a very purely selfish creative exercise that I remember just – really liking at that age and just being like, this is great. I can work through problems here. Like I can sort of think out solutions or try out theories or whatever. So, but it's been really great. But I think I've, I've noticed part of it is I've never vocalized anything about it to anyone ever. I never will. And I've never written about it and I've never written it down. It's never left my head and it will die with me. <laughs> and, and I've realized that's a really important part of it for me because it changes the way that I process that information. And it's almost like keeping like a blood brain barrier or something between it. It's like nothing can get through and become real. Right. And if it becomes real, it becomes boring or it becomes something that I can, I should be editing, <laughs> you know, like this, <laughs> it, it just enters that dimension. And like that said too, I've also written plenty of like most of the songs I've written in the last like five years have been essentially fiction, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like the same thing. And I've started, I've thought about it a lot. Like what the hell, why can't these wires ever cross? And huh. I realized to me, the medium really matters when it comes to like the type of fiction that I'm engaging in and what I want that to do yeah, and what I want that to be. So have either of you found that whether it's the same paracosm through different media or just different ways of engaging with them at different times for different reasons, like 
whether you might write about it, sing about it, choose never to vocalize it, keep it finite, you know, do any of those things have implications? I personally think there are some implications to that. Whether or not I'm right about this, I have no idea. But like, it's interesting that we're talking about paracosm as a lens for meaning making, but also the brain will have different ways of making meaning of the paracosms that it chooses to create. Was that a mouthful? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> say it again. Not only are we talking about paracosm as a meaning-making lens or framework, but also I think to answer that question, we have to address how the brain chooses a lens through which to make meaning of the paracosm that we that <laughs> yeah. it, it creates, right? So yeah. for several reasons, a paracosm might be necessary. One, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's a trauma response. I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Sucker Punch, but that would be a great example. And then you have things like dreams, if you could consider dreams a paracosm. And like then you would get into the whole dream interpretation thing. Like I don't think that dreams are something that you create deliberately to, you know, make sense of human existence or human behavior. But I certainly have a a paracosm in my dreams. I have worlds that I've built in my dreams that I return to every now and then. And I wonder sometimes, I don't know definitively, but are they there to guide me in a certain direction? I have an, an entire, like what has shown up in my dreams as pieces of Western Massachusetts that do not exist in real life. And I have an entire map of, <laughs> of parts of Massachusetts sketched out that aren't there. And I'm always wondering, do they exist somewhere? If not in Massachusetts, <laughs> then somewhere. Is that where I'm supposed to live and I just have to find it? <laughs> you know? So are they there to point you in certain directions? Sometimes it's as an escape, I think. And yeah. sometimes it's as a necessary way to recontextualize your reality. And sometimes it's as a way to, like, you're unconsciously developing some, like, a, a map or some kind of guide to get you where you need to go. I mean, that's, that's what comes up to me is I, th I think depending on the paracosm itself, your brain will find different ways of making meaning of it, you know? Yeah. I think for me, if, if it's a, like when Matt was talking about his ex experience with that, like, and just growing up and everything, I literally have done like the exact same things <laughs> yeah. without exaggeration. And probably a lot of people have, Yeah. but I feel like the difference for me between a paracosm where it's kind of just. I'm just imagining a, a certain random events or whatever, or powers or whatever it is. And I realize, oh, like I can like turn this into something like this could be an idea. I think I feel like at that point I'm taking those characters and those and those things and I'm like giving them a script mm -hmm. to read. And then mm -hmm. it becomes something that I'm sharing with somebody else is the primary focus of it and the primary purpose. Right. Whereas when I'm kind of just daydreaming about whatever or, cra or building this this story that I know no one's ever going to know. Mm. I'm kind of just thinking about this right now, honestly. <laughs> uh, I think maybe that's more just something for me to think about how would I process this? Like, what would I do in this situation? Like maybe without realizing that I'm trying to tell myself, this is how I would handle this. This is what I really want. Mm. Like I've had this, I've had a few actually, I've just like bands where it'd just be this random idea or whatever, yeah. or this random song I had in my head. And then it turns into somehow eventually turns into yeah. their whole career with like <laughs> right. albums and they go on tour, they break up, they come back together, whatever. 
and they all feel different ways about it and, and have their own different pasts and histories and what, mm-hmm. what they want out of it and stuff. And maybe that's just my brain telling myself, like, like trying to help myself figure out, like, would I want to do this kind of thing? Like, is that for me? Or because mm-hmm. I feel like every musician should probably ask themselves, do I want to try to become a touring musician or do I kind of want to do I like just kind of being a homebody? Right. Those have very different implications of, of what you would do with your music from that point. Mm. Mm-hmm. So maybe, yeah, maybe there's some that are kind of just meant for us personally. And then at least for me, the ones that kind of get the wheels turning are meant to be shared with other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the example you gave about bands, it reminds me a lot of um, Guided by Voices when they were starting, like before they even played instruments, like they're, kind of main front person, Robert Pollard, he like, he was a big visual artist before that, just kind of like, you know, in school and stuff. Like it was just what his passion was. And he would make these collages from just chopping up magazines and create bands and albums, not playing any instrument. He just like would create, he would come up with a name and then he would come up with the band members and come up with the album, come up with the label they were signed to, create the track list. (laughs) And then he would get his buddies together and they'd get like thrift store suits and they'd sprint around the block so they were sweaty, like they just played a gig. And then they would do a photo shoot and be that band. And he would just like do that over and over. And then at a certain point, they were like, we should probably like learn guitar. And uh, (laughs) so they did. And they've been a band for like 40 years and... Wow. But he kind of, it was such an interesting way to come up. Like I've never heard of any other band doing that where he dreamed out all these entire careers. And then he actually went kind of back through that list and actually formed some of those bands. Mm-hmm. Like the one, there's a, one of them was called King Shit and the Golden Boys. And which is just one of my favorite band names <laughs> of all time. And like, they definitely made an album called that, but I think he might've done an, a side project as that too. But that's always struck me as like such a cool way of like meshing those two worlds together, you know, cause it's, I find it really difficult to turn off that spigot once you start thinking about like, like I've totally like daydreamed bands like that too. And just once you start thinking like, Oh, this is how these pieces would fit together. It's so hard to like, just stop that. Yeah. You know, without like that band retiring or just like they have to take it all the way. It's like, yeah. yeah do you notice that any of like that creative impulse is kind of involuntary? Like when you're coming up, like once you start pulling on a story thread, oh, then yeah. it's like it kind of has to go <laughs> where it's going to Yeah, I go. feel like, I mean, most of the time it is. Yeah. It'll just be an image of just that band performing wherever they are in whichever part of their career. And then I'm like mapping out the year of like, okay. And then in this year they had to switch labels because they released something that was a little too experimental and like suddenly my brain is playing a documentary about them yeah. and I'm like, well, that implies that they got big and it, it kind of just gets, yeah, it kind of just like goes off on its own. Yeah. And a lot of times it happens at work, which is probably not great. <laughs> that's the best time for it. Like that's, that's almost what it should, should happen. Yeah, that's fair. As long as the person still knows their burrito is $18, then I guess, I guess <laughs> both parties are satisfied. <laughs> That person probably has no idea where that burrito has traveled in the span of time that yeah. it's, like, it's being created. <laughs> that burrito has gone on a full journey. I think it's seen multitudes by the time it gets to that person. <laughs> One thing that just came to mind was, uh, and this doesn't have so much to do with paracosms as it does to, to do specifically with fiction writing, but contextualizing an experience that you had in retrospect. So for instance, like, I had an experience once with um, someone who was trying to sign up for the military 
And that was in 2008. And it was on like a, you know, a weekend getaway trip that I took with some college friends. And like five or six years later, I started writing this story and like and completely fictionalized the events surrounding that like that one conversation. So I started writing a story to get to that conversation and then 50 pages later. I'm like, all right, I'm here. But it ended up being like a work that I really enjoyed engaging in. And one of the reasons was that I had to research what military goings on were, were happening at that time. And there was all of this very, very relevant information and I wanted it to be as real as possible. So I was like, I was, I was Googling, like, I remember we took this trip during a snowstorm. What was the weather exactly on that day? And what was the day exactly? And like, I got, I got, I had to get like all the specifics about that time. And it was like when the big resurgence was happening in in Afghanistan and like when all this stuff was going down, in the Middle East. And so I got like really into the historical accuracy of the story, even though there wasn't that much historical detail. I just felt like if like the climax of this story is is going to kind of be like a dramatic conversation about someone mm-hmm. joining the military, I have to be very well informed about the current events of that, specifically that month, like not even that year, but like that month, what was happening. It completely recontextualized like all of the veterans that I knew at the time, all of the people that I knew who were serving in the military, all of like the fear that people had seven years after nine 11, like there was so much going on and it made me really, really appreciate like the time that I was living in and the interactions that I was having with people. But anyway, yeah, long way to, to say that like sometimes, especially when fiction writing or maybe when you're writing a song that has a certain setting or the painting or anything, it can create a world that is like accurate to the world as it was in the past, but like replace yourself in that time to make better sense of experiences that you had. Yeah. Narrative in general, I'm taking a class actually right now on, on narrative and narrative analysis. And it reminds me a lot of that. Like we just, you know, going over a lot of the, the power that storytelling and, and story making have to sort of construct and and deconstruct reality for us. And it's like just the idea that it's such a quintessentially human thing that this is how we bond. This is how we understand time. Like it's Mm -hmm. how we understand really everything about our physical and emotional worlds. And Mm -hmm. so one thing that's always so been so striking to me since I've kind of figured out more of what paracosm is and what it means is the idea that this is associated so, so closely with childhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything I saw about it was saying like, you know, it's very commonly outgrown or it's typically a childish thing or it's typically a childish trauma response thing. And I was looking at it like this is an invaluable resource. This is something I really enjoy. I hope to God I never outgrow this. That'll be the saddest, loneliest day in the fucking world, both worlds even. And (laughs) it's just so weird to me that it's weird to anyone else. Yeah, I honestly got a little bit insecure when when I was reading about it and it was like, yeah, like childhood like kids do this and it's a it's a thing that children do and like say would just reiterate that over and over again they're just like maybe i should not (laughs) maybe i should just pretend that i don't still do this and then you basically described the the exact same experiences i felt it too though like i felt the same like i'm about to say this on mic this might be the biggest violation (laughs) of my own trust i've ever committed but like maybe it's just us maybe it's literally (laughs) just us and everyone who's gonna listen is gonna be like yo what (laughs) i think i read that it was one in four people so 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. But full transparency, I don't remember where I heard the word paracosm, but it was only within the last year. And I think that my interpretation of it was always just like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you make up imaginary stuff when you're a kid and and like that sometimes that persists into adulthood. And I only just today actually looked up the word and saw all the stuff associated with childhood. Oh, really? So <laughs> I'm right there with you guys. It was a surprise to me, too, to be like, oh, you're supposed to outgrow this. Well, and it's weird, too, because it is so intuitive that it would be framed that way like I completely get why that would that frame would exist like why it would be a childhood thing why because you know you're young you're understanding how to use your your brain really in a lot of ways you're like you're understanding how to understand and the fact that it would be a trauma response is supernatural too because I mean if this world sucks what about trying to find another one it's like very kind of logical but the thing that I can't understand is why it's like pathologized practically when mm. you get older and like, what the hell changes when you grow up? Or do, do you think people actually outgrow it? I don't. Or do you think everyone's just like, yeah, no, I don't do that. Anymore. And then they go to that world yeah. to say, no, it's okay. I think outgrowing it is a lack of imagination. <laughs> and definitively, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm just being defensive, but I can't picture that people just become literal when they turn like to adulthood. Yeah. And just only think know, that's what in I mean. literal yeah. form. It's like, what do they do? Like in their... Yeah. ESPN's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I will say that, like, I was in, like, pretty severe isolation slash, like, just didn't have any peers when I was six years old because we had moved away from the neighborhood where, like, everyone was my age and it was just a bunch of kids playing around to, like, kind of a lonely situation and I was homeschooled so I would be like going out into like this this wooded patch in the yard every day and pretending that I was going to work and like getting in a tree and pretending it was a spaceship like like I was an astronaut and stuff like that Mm. and like I think I started the whole imaginary worlds thing out of absolute necessity because I had nothing to do and no one to talk to Mm-hmm. And I now deliberately look for that kind of isolation when I really need alone time. But, you know, like I remember the next place we moved to, there was also like a great like patch of woods with some sand pit areas and stuff. And I like I kept developing this this world that I wanted to live in. And it was very much like a I wonder for how many people it's like a superhero type thing, because it was very much like a a vigilante world <laughs> that I was constructing <laughs> then. Um but yeah, my, my whole life, it's it's either been like I retreat to the woods to build a world for myself that is not a reality, or I retreat to creativity to build a, a sonic world or a poetic world that has to supplement reality when reality isn't beautiful enough, or when, when reality isn't offering me enough empathy or enough right. like mm. outlets, you know? It seems like there's a difference too when it's... a uh, paracosm that you enact physically mm-hmm. versus a place you might retreat to when you're lying in bed but you're awake as opposed yeah. to a place where like when you're alone in the woods you've like created a physical world like whether you're actually building it or yeah you're, and like, that's the thing i don't i don't have the lying in bed like i daydream a lot but i don't have like a a, a mental a purely mental paracosm in that way that's like interesting to me because that's i would say the physical one i've outgrown Okay. For no no apparent reason. Like, I'm not sure what changed, but I do know at a certain point, like, my brother and I always, like, we have woods behind our house, and we always used to, 
like create just like one. I think we just got obsessed with like archaeology and like the idea of like finding a gold mine. Uh, and so we just determined we saw a piece of wood lying on the ground and it was like a decomposed door from like the 40s and we just decided like yeah. there's, that opens and there's something down there. And mm-hmm. so we just started we started digging and apparently we kind of fucked up the yard. We like hit a pipe or something. <laughs> and so it wasn't like a great ending to the actual story, but like the um, we were having a great time and we were so engrossed in this. And that kind of stuff changed for me. I, I don't know when or why, but I think it was in line with more stuff being socially supported or kind of sanctioned like you know the same way like you might stop having like adventures on your bike once you get a license because you just you know things get laundered through adulthood and then they change i think it was kind of that but when you think about those kinds of paracosms of those kinds of imaginary worlds it's like the only real difference between that and and basically freaking recreation in a lot of cases is the amount of social endorsement that you're getting. Because think about mm-hmm. like a high school football team. And I don't want to keep ragging on like sports people on this. <laughs> these are the things that come to mind. But like a high school football star, mm-hmm. that has absolutely no basis in reality when you think about it. Like that is not a skill that translates to anything other than football. Right. Your Your world is entirely contained within those four years if you're good, or maybe yeah. one year if you're not. And you get to do it in these very specific specific circumstances, and you, you act out that superhero narrative. Mm. But then high school ends, mm-hmm. and you go off and, I don't know, sell insurance or do whatever you're going to do, and, like, it's not that different from an imaginary world. Like, you're yeah. going out there, and you're freaking God. Like, you're freaking Superman. But all you're really doing is throwing a ball based on some parameters that we've come up with, and agreed on. Right. And the only difference between that and someone acting out a civil war scenario by themselves in the woods or something is the fact that one person's alone and one person is on the field, but the inner worlds are just as real probably to both people. Yeah. So, and they're both created out of a social necessity. Isolation is kind of being its own social necessity. Hmm. So it's interesting to me. The, the actions seem like it really changes the definition in a way. But it's interesting that you that you mentioned like a civil war reenactment because I was just thinking about how like when you were talking about the the archaeology stuff, I was thinking about, I was obsessed with like King Philip's War when I was a kid, um, and I live where a lot of it happened, and so I was always looking for arrowheads and shit like that, and I've always been kind of really into colonial history and like Puritan history and and stuff like that. And so I think there are probably a lot of people who do this. For me, it's more of a fantasy thing and not, I don't do this because I'm academically interested in history always. But sometimes when I'm walking in the woods, especially around New England, I love just imagining Puritan culture. Like as much as I hate it, I've always been obsessed with it. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I'll, I'll imagine just as I used to imagine that like I was probably walking on the prior battlegrounds of King Philip's War when I was a kid. When I was older, I started going like, I wonder if this is where a lot of settlers used to walk around. Or I wonder like if there was ever like a weird witch hunt that never, never was never documented <laughs> in these woods. And if like... There's a haunting here or something like that. Anyway, all this to say, like, I guess this is expanding the definition of paracosm even further. But, like, I would say that people use history not only as a method of contextualizing their present experience, but as a method of constructing a fantasy world that has very 
real basis in reality to contextualize like what they enjoy about a certain thing or what I don't know how else to phrase it. Do you know what I mean? I think I do. Well, that's kind of that's another thing we were finding in that narrative class. Like, there's I think it's this guy Bruner who has a theory about this, but it's a it's a fairly common assertion at this point. But like the idea that like storytelling and narrative construction on a mental and a anthropological level, they're they're kind of ways of extending time beyond the present, but in both directions. So it's a way of keeping that right. history alive in a very poignant immediate sense not just as like oh those those things happened but a way of actually feeling feelings around them like mm-hmm. saying there were mm-hmm. actual human beings just like me walking here just like I am now and feel you know it's like keeping the hero's journey thread through all of that and right facing values on those imaginations and it's like just such a crucial thing that we do and and I kind of found that like the more I think about this topic and the more we learn about it you know, it's it's really just a little bit of a, a different interpretation of it, but it's kind of the same thing as like having an imaginary world because we can't like definitively prove that a lot of those historical things went down the way they did. We're just extrapolating from documents and creating kind of a, a version of that reality that makes sense, but we weren't there. Mm-hmm. And even right. all of that to get super meta about it, all of that's based on a concept of time that we take for granted. Yeah. But who knows? Like, we have no way of actually testing that and finding <laughs> out if that's true. So, no, it's interesting. Like, the Odyssey is coming to mind, like, or, or the Iliad. Like, both are about fictional. Oh, actually, I'm making that up. Was the Peloponnesian War real? I think so. I'm not qualified no. to give an answer. <laughs> I want to look up real quick. <laughs> yes, it was real. Okay. So, the Peloponnesian War was real. <laughs> um, but. We, we we have the story of the Odyssey and, you know, clearly not real, but we make sense of a certain time in history by creating a character who lived through the real events, um, but right. had his had his own unreal events. Right. So we make sense of history by experiencing fictional characters. And then we make sense of those fictional characters by experiencing the history that they're supposed to exist within. Like we have to kind of learn what that so i don't know i'm just i'm still thinking about like contextualization and like how we kind of place fictional characters or heroes into certain situations in order to like figure out how those situations are navigable by humans i think that's like what we get out of myth a lot of the time it's something that is like instilled in culture like when we think of the vietnam war we don't think of the vietnam war we think of the doors right. <laughs> and, like, and we think of apocalypse now and we think of maybe Ken Burns, but like we think of the things that were culturally relevant at the time and the things that have lived on as the way that our culture expressed the memory of the events themselves. Right. So mm-hmm. like we don't have a memory of the war. We can read history books about the war. We can experience like, what was culturally relevant or, what has been passed down. And so like these ways that we make sense of that or we, and then we can write fiction like modern day fiction or write modern day songs about that war, even though we never experienced it because we have a, a, not a cultural memory of it, but we have an experience of it, of it weighing heavily on the culture that we came from. Right. And so there's something like vestigial that we can take from that and we can invent a paracosm from that. We can invent a fictional world 
that helps us to make sense of the culture that we live in, even though we did not experience the thing that came to permeate the culture that we live in. Mm. It can help us like appreciate or maybe try to understand what it was like to be in that situation. And I feel like we can learn from that, yeah. from that perception of, of this is what it was probably like. Yeah. An example that came to mind for me was um, a band called House of Heroes made an album called, I, I feel like I'm going to butcher it because a lot of bands have an album name like this, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's called The End Is Not The End. Okay. I think I have it over there somewhere so I could always <laughs> fact check myself. Yeah. And it was about World War II and it's told from a bunch of different perspectives. And obviously they weren't there. They were like in their 20s when they made the album and it came out in like 2009, I want to say. Right. But it does kind of just put you in that, like you feel like you're in the present like or their pre- like those characters present and they kind of like I don't know like it's weird that we can learn or even like empathize with and learn from that empathy um mm. like we can learn from those fictional stories you know what I mean like yeah. even if it was like it was a, like I, like I feel like I took more away from that it got me thinking more than just like reading like a historical account of what happened right yeah and like it's it might not be as accurate but it, it felt more real yeah I think that's like, I've never really written fiction like in the proper sense, but RJ, I'm curious if you've experienced this um, feeling, but it reminds me of a, I'm going to butcher the hell out of this, but a Neil Simon quote when he was just talking about like the coolest moment and the kind of most important like final moment in the writing process of, of a play for him was that night he was sitting in the front row and watching the characters walk out and it would feel for a second as if he didn't write them, like they were freestanding people that that existed now. And Mm -hmm. it's something really cool to me about fiction specifically, but just a lot of creative work is like you're creating an entire reality out of nothing or out of a sort of mishmash of your own impressions and experiences and all this kind of stuff. You're naming stuff, you're creating rules and interactions and settings and all this shit. And then you can engage actual people's actual empathetic capacities and like you can trigger actual feelings that will lead to actual, and I want to keep saying actual in a way that belittles the fiction, but you know, it's like real world immediate reactions will happen because of those fictional actions. And like, that's just such a cool thing to me that like, you know, you can create something like that and almost contribute something to the world that didn't exist and would never have existed without you. But now it just does. Like now it's just out there. Mm. And it almost doesn't need you anymore, which right. is a weird. I've felt that with like, um, just like from the writing point of view of certain songs. Like it just feels like once they're out, they're, they're not yours. Like it's not like they're wildly popular, but you know, just feels like it's a different relationship now. But right. have you ever felt that writing fiction, specifically writing like stories, like that sense that you've, you've spit something into the world of this reality? Yeah, I feel like a little bit. I I do kind of feel like like the characters I create, like I I don't necessarily feel like I'm not trying to sound all like deep like I didn't create them, they came yeah. to me. Yeah. But like like I feel like they like you said, like they exist because they're kind of an unconscious combination of like all these different things and that kind of forms into this person, but it was is all things that were already real and it's just a combination. I feel like writing music like genre and a lot of things like that is a lot like that as well it's more just a combination of things that were already there Mm. but I have definitely felt like after a while like I'm right now in the middle of like chapter 100 of the story I'm I'm, (laughs) uh, updating online like after a while when you write these characters so much they kind of just end up knowing themselves in a weird way yeah like you kind of you've seen 
stuff you know you've seen their i mean i've written it so it's weird but like at the same time reading it back and stuff i'm kind of watching their life and then it becomes easier to keep writing them because you kind of just know how they're going to react you're not making them react you know well this is how they have reacted in the past it's like well yeah of course so and so this is how they'd feel about this yeah Mm. i mean it's it's useful as a tool but it's definitely like it's cool to to kind of feel like these characters are like actual people although i will say that makes it way harder to want bad things to happen to them if you like them <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> or to true. not want yeah. it makes it harder to like make bad things happen to them yeah have you ever written characters like based on real life people yeah i've i primarily have done that either <laughs> like i haven't done it a lot in like serious i feel like i've done it either as a bit like yeah yeah like i like just as a joke i inserted my friend and i into my story but like with different names and we're kind of just like satirized version of us of ourselves mm-hmm. just to say that i did it kind of thing yeah and then the other i feel like this is this kind of <laughs> might sound bad but i've also like done it kind of to i don't know how else to say it just to to make fun of someone <laughs> who was mean in real life and just put them in my sure. story yeah like I don't, and I don't even necessarily have to change what they're like or anything, but. <laughs> well, it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Like you can kind of have a, a scrimmage conflict, <laughs> a yeah. scrimmage with people. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not like you doing the confronting or something like that, like just to kind of process their behavior on the page, just like to do like a, a, a character analysis or something like a. Yeah. It kind of gives me a chance to cool down and be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because then I have to think about them as people as yeah. opposed to just this thing that they did. So it's like, okay, well, they have reasons that they said this or did that. Mm. That's an interesting distinction. Yeah, just kind of reframing them as people because I never really thought about that. But it is, especially in a conflict situation, it's so easy to yeah. s- to forget that there's a person attached to this action and just really get like yeah. right, lasered in on this thing, this this misstep or this action or whatever. So that's seems like an incredibly healthy device to have access to, you know? For the, uh, I think it's the only novel I've ever finished, but like we're, we're going back like 15 years or something. I, I took like an entire summer off. I was writing this book like on and off for the first few years of my adulthood. And then I took like a whole summer off and only focused on that. And just I was just like, I'm going to finish this. Mm. And like it might as well have been a memoir, but it was really embellished. So like it was, it was a work of fiction, but like it, it was based entirely on like a very true and real timeline and like my actual, you know, friends growing up. And it was a trippy feeling just kind of like writing all of these people into a fictional account of real events that happened. But having a having fi- like dealing so closely with fictional versions of your closest friends <laughs> and then having to go and interact with those friends like, am I writing you well? Are you even <laughs> real to me anymore? <laughs> like, right. Did you have to like remind yourself like which person you were talking to between the character and the real person? I can't remember having to do that specifically, but I mean, most likely I do. I'll say this like. At the end of that summer, I developed some very intense paranoia because, you know, I was probably getting a little bit manic and I was probably getting like very, very ambitious. And I'll bet that one out of three conversations I had during that time was about my book, whether people wanted to listen to it or not. And I think I started to feel the effects of that and started to feel like people reflecting that back to me in an unspoken way. And so I started, Mm. that made me paranoid that people just thought like, oh, he's crazy. He's never going to get a book published. He's never, you know. So I felt 
Whether it was real or not, I felt a lot of judgment, and that had a, a larger impact on me because I was feeling that judgment from one of the most important characters in, in that whole story and in, in the book that I was writing, who was really meant to be like like the best friend figure, you know, mm. and who was one of the best friend figures in real life. So, yeah, that had a, a larger impact on it, than I think, uh, than it would have otherwise. Like if I had just been writing a memoir, it would have been kind of maybe easier to process. But because I was writing a more fictionalized account with like kind of more intense emotions involved and more like a steeper dramatic arc it felt like the tensions were were higher and it felt like you also just want to represent people well you know and so there was like if you're if if i'm feeling judgment from you now just with the ambitions of getting this written and getting it published what sort of judgment might i feel when you read yourself <laughs> and right. when you see this when you see like how I see you in in this dramatized version of our events together. So, and then later on, like I revisited it and um, it never did. It was supposed to get published, but that's a long story. It never did. And later on, I w went back to kind of revisit it and see like, let's see if I can salvage this and rewrite it. And I found a lot of areas where I didn't have to make it as real. I found a lot of areas where I could change it and give it more literary value rather than make it sound so much like a memoir. Like I, I, like I can still have this read like a memoir because I think that's part of its charm, but I can also fictionalize this a lot more and base these characters not on people, but on archetypes. Mm -hmm. And that felt a lot better in terms of like taking real events and turning them into fiction, taking real people and turning them into fiction. If there are elements that you can take from, you know, that are that are liter literary elements and not uh, autobiographical elements, and sometimes those two, two, two things converge in really nice ways. But it helps you to kind of realize that like real life and story are not always so far apart from one another, mm. but also sometimes they benefit from being far apart from one another because myth can sometimes get a point across a lot better than than fact. Yeah, I definitely feel that sentiment. I feel like that's the case in songwriting, too. I have a lot harder of a time being okay with things I say lyrically when I'm writing a song that is just autobiographical. Um, I feel like there's something about a song becoming a song that kind of turns it into a story, even if it is completely just like, this is what happened to me. Right. It's harder for me to, to do that than to write like a theme song about a particular part of a story. And then, you know, kind of like what I was talking about way earlier, connecting that to something. It's connecting what's going on in the story to something I'm going through in real life. And the song ends up being about that. Mm -hmm. It feels a little bit safer, I guess. Yeah. But I, th I do think I do think both have value. I've, I've never written. I've written a lot of really bad things throughout my <laughs> life, but I've never written something where I just where it's like real people that. I changed the names and put them in a, in a fictional story, mm. but I, I can, I can see there being a lot of that dissonance. So what do you guys think paracosms say about ambition and like, maybe like a direction that they're trying to point you in or like something to strive for? I think they can say a lot. Yeah. I don't know if they necessarily have to, but definitely, they definitely seem to require a certain, I don't know, like a directionality or something, you know, like, yeah, that's why I don't know if they always have to need ambition in that like super like active sense but they 
definitely seem like they demand that you're like looking out at something mm. or in at something, but like mm-hmm. that you are looking to something that you are not now or a place that you are not in now. But whether or not that's always ambition, I'm not sure. I, I can't say if I've ever felt ambition from like a paracosm, but I feel like maybe it's made me think about like whatever characters in my head that are playing out what their ambitions are have kind of made me reflect on my own okay yeah i guess what i was thinking of and i i don't know that i would consider this a paracosm it's in line with it you know as far as like the mental worlds that you create because i always have if i'm conceiving of an album that i want to write or that like i have written and i want to record and i am conceiving of how i want it to sound like I, i've got the soundscape in my head right like Mm-hmm. I'm going to develop ambition around how to produce that, how to get that done. Like how, I, I can play it live. I don't want it to sound the way it's going to sound live. How do I construct the soundscape that I hear in my head, you know? And so I, I was just thinking about like how creativity and how like the way that we imagine our art coming to life or the way that we imagine our work manifesting in some idealized way kind of drives us to be able to actually make that manifest. That's interesting. And that's where I was saying like ambition feels to me like kind of an operative word there because somebody creating that soundscape or or coming up with what it could sound like or how it could be executed versus somebody that does all that flushing out and then also uses it as fuel to start enacting that change. Mm. Those feel like two different things, you know, Mm. like two different conditions of paracosm that both fit together but one doesn't necessarily require the other (laughs) in every case to me yeah because if if they did then there'd be a lot of really lazy people that i know (laughs) that are also (laughs) hyper ambitious yeah and you know it's like either one's kind of okay but i was thinking of it kind of in the same like i have a dreamscape of a mountainous terrain that may or may not be western massachusetts in my in my head if I'm dreaming that up, is that where I should live? If I'm dreaming up a certain soundscape, is that a sonic landscape where I should live? Like that I have to make that real myself so that I can put on headphones and live there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. And thinking about this in so many different ways, I guess there's a disambiguation to make between like how much is a paracosm of fantasy versus how much is a paracosm an analytical tool versus how much of it is an artistic tool versus how much of it is just escapism. Mm. I think it's all like a little of each. It's a lot of different yeah, kinds of say, tools. I feel like it's all of those things Yeah. sometimes at the same time. Yeah. Like when I was thinking about the topic, I never really considered thinking about how I want the production of my recorded music to sound as like fantasy or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like as a paracosm. I've never thought about it that way. I've always thought about it like strictly even not even as like imagining it. Like I've always thought about it strictly as like a mechanical, I want to make it feel some way emotional. Like I don't mean like void of emotion, Mm -hmm. but it's very like, very much like a tool of like a framework of like, okay, this is what, how I want it to feel and sound. Yeah. And now I have to go like find the, the right chords slash approach to mixing to like accomplish that. Yeah. I've always thought about it as like a very mechanical thing. Oh, sorry, I dropped something. As a very mechanical thing. Yeah. But I I th- I mean, I think you're right that it really is more of a 
I guess it is a paracosm because <laughs> it doesn't exist. I mean, kind of, yeah. Like, I'll, I'll think about, you know, when you kind of dream music. Yeah. Mm. Although last time that happened to me, I put the idea down and it ended up just being a Fall Out Boy song. <laughs> I wonder how often that's happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> I always try to get the melody on my, on my phone. Like, I'll just reach over like, yeah, yeah. But I, and I wonder how often it's like, there's this one song that... I still swear to God, it's a Weezer song. <laughs> I'm still working on it. I'm going to finish it, but I'm not convinced that it's not a Weezer song. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you wrote it, dude. Like it's like uh, That's yeah. the one you sent me, right? You're like, this has to be a Weezer song. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think you're writing this. It's a good song. So. Yeah. Well, that's funny. <laughs> but, you know, so you dream song. Like, I'll, like, wake up really, dis- I mean, depending on, like, the the complexity of, of what I'm hearing. Like sometimes I hear, I don't write R and B music someday I might, but like sometimes I'll hear really just like elegant, fully Mm. produced, beautiful R and B music. I'm like, I don't even know where to start with that. Good God. And then I wake up and I'm like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly I've got the mind for it. Do I though? Oh, some eleven chords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> but I don't know. I just I feel like, and I don't know like if I can really assign a, a or ascribe a purpose to that other than like, is it just beauty manifesting in a vacuum? Like because I know that that's how my mind works anyway. Not to sound <laughs> full of it. Um, <laughs> but like what I, what I was meaning to say was like, I know that the way that my mind works is given a void, given a vacuum, like I will fill it with something. Not that I am necessarily capable of like actually composing and fully producing and fully like writing the things that sometimes pop into my head because they are often elaborate and complex. But if my brain is filling space that way, it, it might mean that my brain is like experiencing a lack of beauty, a lack of whatever it's missing, you know? Mm. So the same way if I'm daydreaming, the same way if I'm, as you were mentioning earlier, like being bored and inventing, inventing worlds, like in a vacuum, if we are not stimulated in the right way, is it just entertainment? Are we just coming up with ways to entertain ourselves and escape from the boredom? Or sometimes it's daydreaming or writing songs in your sleep or, are the accidental paracosms that we create, in fact, trying to tell us what to strive for? And that's kind of the question that I'm, that I'm wondering about. I feel like they're part of, this might sound stupid, I have no idea, but <laughs> I, feel, I feel like they're kind of part of like a, a system of natural creation. Like I think a lot of people are just, maybe everyone just naturally are wired to create. And maybe that like paracosms are like the fuel that we draw from. And I definitely, I, I'm on the same page, I think. And I've been, this is like maybe an adjacent, hopefully adjacent enough question, but I've been kicking this around the whole time we've been talking about this. But do you think we create meaning because there's a human condition? Or do you think we create a human condition because we need meaning? Because mm. I think that also gets near the source of that idea of paracosm as ambition too. A little bit of like a chicken and egg thing to it potentially, but... I feel like that question kind of kind of asks the need to like understand what life is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't. <laughs> but it's a really good question. 
And I don't think anyone really does, you know, but it, it's always, it gets to the, you always get questions like the nature versus nurture stuff or the idea, yeah. like, are we a tabula rasa or, or not? And there's just so many philosophies and theories of psychology and myths and religions and things that have tried to answer those questions in so many different ways. And mm. so, yeah, throughout this, I've just been kind of like circling that, that idea, like, are we trying to like create a meaning because we feel like we have to? because we're surrounded by thousands of years and billions of people worth of precedent telling us we should be doing that? Or is it something innate? Like, mm. I don't know. There's, there's just a million ways of looking at it, and I, I don't have an answer to this, and <laughs> I don't expect anyone to. But it's, I'm just always kind of curious about that. It might be entirely individual, too. Like we might just Sometimes I think that the idea of a human condition might even be a bit of a construct too. Like there's so many consistencies throughout all of us, but we might be just trying to generalize for the sake of, I don't want to call it solidarity, but you know, having a through line because it's the only way to make sense of any of this. Like, like that quote, I think I've said this on here before that quote, um, the plural of anecdote is data. Oh yeah. Which I always liked that quote. I can't remember who said it, but you know, that kind of thing that like just a way of tying all of these similar experiences together and maybe, it just creates a stronger sense of um, cohesion than there actually is. And then on the other hand, maybe it's entirely legit and there's been this thick thread throughout all of humanity. I have no idea, but I enjoy thinking about it sometimes. <laughs> I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with when you make, I mean, sure, it's a, a combination of things, but like making something because you're inspired by, like you're, you're trying to portray a meaning or just making something and then a meaning comes out of it. Yeah, mm. true. Like with paracosms, we're not necessarily like making it intentionally all the time. Sometimes right. we are, mm. but like as far as actually making like art, mm. I don't know if you if you guys like always start with a meaning or some sort of message, and then you make the thing, or the thing happens and then the meaning comes from it. I feel like that could maybe help at least approach the question that Matt was yeah. asking. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> I I never start with meaning or message mm. there always is one by the end i think yeah but this is like a, a popular debate among uh you know literary people you know like when you're asked in high school to find the symbolism in young goodman brown <laughs> like, yeah. or any story that you read like the assignment is like what does this symbolize and it's a very common pushback you know to hear kids go like why does everything have to be a symbol <laughs> and i completely agree with that like you can't make the claim that the authorial intent of the creator was that everything would be a symbol. That might be the accepted consensus of the literary critical community, right? And like once something is canonized and once it's studied enough and once enough essays are written by about it and once enough of those essays claim that, yes, this was a symbol for purity or whatever it was, okay, now it's academically accepted that that thing is a symbol for purity. Um, but that doesn't always, like, that's a consensus and not necessarily dealing with authorial intent. And so, like, when authorial intent is bypassed by an academic consensus, then I guess that wins out because yeah. academia wins over everything, right? But, like, what was the original question? <laughs> oh, it, was kind of, it was kind of taking Matt's question and applying it to, like, specifically to, like, making... Art, like whether it's songwriting or oh, whatever, right. or fiction or whatever. Yeah. 
And so I, I think that a lot of those, a lot of what is purported to be symbolic of X could actually be symbolic of X if you go back to the inception of it by the author or the creator, whoever did whatever piece of art. But I don't always think that that's conscious. My short answer to this would be like, I, I think that more often than not, meaning is put into creative work subconsciously because the human exist, condition exists. And like, I think mm-hmm. that we have given it a framework and given it definitions and given it a structure that it would not otherwise have the way that all of psychology has done, you know, brain structures and everything have been labeled and have been mapped out for us in a way that like we didn't know before, but now that we have names for them and now that we have, you know, a glossary of terms, we now figure out that we do feel and experience certain things that we might not have like been able to identify that we were feeling or experiencing if we didn't know the names for those things. And so the fact that there is a name and an outline for the human condition, and I I think it's there organically, but I think that we try to delineate what those things are and often delineate them symbolically, albeit unconsciously, when we go to create things Mm. because they are experienced organically, but we need a way to make sense of them. Right. Yeah, and the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, I'm definitely getting to a place too where like even maybe the definition of the human condition or the ways we've tried to conceptualize it, maybe it gets overly complicated in certain situations or kind of throughout time it gets blown a little bit off course, but it gets embellished in ways that might be more subjective. But when you really strip it back to its core, it's like we're all born with this void yeah, in front of us. And what we choose to do with it is entirely subjective and and that's where we sort of mythologize or get a little bit creative about it. But just the fact that we have the capacity to come up with paracosms and myths and the fact that we don't always, like we we don't consent to having that capacity. It's like, that's the whole existentialist thing that I always love. It's like that being born at the edge of the woods thing. Like to me, that's the more we talk about this, that's the human condition is that there is a void that presents, prevents us from just being able to wake up and forage for food and not get killed and go to sleep and repeat and repeat until something happens that we don't give a second thought to. Instead, we have to have meaning and stories and all this kind of shit. And like, we don't get a choice over whether or not we have those needs. And maybe that's at its most simple. The human condition is just this little empty box in front of us that we can't ignore Mm-hmm. And then meaning making is entirely reflective of whoever is looking at that box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, RJ, we'll close it out with a question that we've been asking everybody. You can answer right. it however you'd like. Yeah. Why, why live? live? Jinx, dude. That's good. <laughs> why live? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that shows I haven't listened to any of the episodes in the series yet. Oops. <laughs> it's, a, it's a trap, dude. That's what we're doing it for. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm working on it, though. <laughs> I've been listening to a few. Uh, I mean, my answer is probably lame, but I think I don't know how to make this sound not lame. (laughs) 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 And because of love, that's my answer, I guess, in a very vague sense, too. All right. Just for, for everybody, for yourself, for existence. It's one of the few, like, tangible things that, like every everybody has the capacity for that I'm really glad is here. <laughs> mm. Mm. And I think it's what sustains why we're all still here. Wow. We it's haven't gotten answer. that answer yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just speaking for myself, I guess. That's my own answer. Mm. 
That's a good one, though. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's beautiful. And uh, anything that you would like to plug? Sure. Uh, I'm constantly making music under the name Circle Brook, so there's a bunch of stuff out there that I'm pretty proud of for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the EPs go along with the story called Conscious Conscientious, which is, which is on royalroad.com. It's like an action-adventure kind of story that's ongoing. Uh, the only other thing is something that's pretty recent is um, our friend uh, Z the Stranger dropped an album and uh, my band Solvent C did a song with them on that. So everyone should check that out as well. Oh, yeah. All right. Any, any closing thoughts on Paracosms? I'm probably going to be thinking about it for like a solid month after this. Yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and we've done our job. Yeah. Thank, <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much for bringing me on. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a fun one. <laughs>